Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Chapter 7 Mrs. Henry Vanderleiden listened in silence to her cousin Mrs. Archer's narrative. It was all very well to tell yourself in advance that Mrs. Vanderleiden was always silent, and that, though noncommittal by nature and training, she was very kind to the people she really liked. Even personal experience of these facts was not always a protection from the chill that descended on one in the high-ceilinged, white-walled Madison Avenue drawing room with the pale, brocaded armchairs so obviously uncovered for the occasion, and the gauze still veiling the mantel ornaments and the beautiful old-carved frame of Gainsborough's Lady Angela Dulac. Mrs. Van Der Leiden's portrait by Huntington, in black velvet and Venetian point, faced that of her lovely ancestress. It was generally considered as fine as a cabanel, and although 20 years had elapsed since its execution, it was still a perfect likeness. Indeed, Mrs. Van Der Leiden, who sat beneath it listening to Mrs. Archer, might have been the twin sister of the fair and still youngish woman drooping against the gilt armchair before a green curtain. Mrs. Van Der Leiden still wore black velvet in Venetian point when she went into society, or rather, since she never dined out, when she threw open her doors to receive it. Her fair hair, which had faded without turning gray, was still parted in flat overlapping points on her forehead, and the straight nose that divided her pale blue eyes was only a little more pinched about the nostril than when the portrait had been painted. She always, indeed, struck Newland Archer as having been rather gruesomely preserved in the airless atmosphere of a perfectly irreproachable existence, as bodies caught in glaciers keep for years a rosy life in death. Like all his family, he esteemed and admired Mrs. Van Der Leiden, but he found her gentle, bending sweetness less approachable than the grimness of some of his mother's old aunts, fierce spinsters who said no on principle before they knew what they were going to be asked. Mrs. Van Der Leiden's attitude said neither yes nor no, but always appeared to incline to clemency, till her thin lips wavering into the shadow of a smile made the almost invariable reply, I shall first have to talk this over with my husband. She and Mr. Van Der Leiden were so exactly alike that Archer often wondered how, after 40 years of the closest conjugality, two such merged identities ever separated themselves enough for anything as controversial as a talking over. But as neither had ever reached a decision without prefacing it by this mysterious conclave, Mrs. Archer and her son, having set forth their case, waited resignedly for the familiar phrase. Mrs. Van Der Leiden, however, who had seldom surprised anyone, now surprised them by reaching her long hand towards the bell rope. I think, she said, I should like Henry to hear what you have told me. A footman appeared, to whom she gravely added, If Mr. Van Der Leiden has finished reading the newspaper, please ask him to be kind enough to come. She said reading the newspaper in the tone in which a minister's wife might have said presiding at a cabinet meeting. Not from any arrogance of mind, but because the habit of a lifetime and the attitude of her friends and relations had led her to consider Mr. Van Der Leiden's least gesture as having an almost sacerdotal importance. Her promptness of action showed that she considered the case as pressing as Mrs. Archer, but 
lest she should be thought to have committed herself in advance, she added with the sweetest look. Henry always enjoys seeing you, dear Adeline, and he will wish to congratulate Newland. The double doors had solemnly reopened, and between them appeared Mr. Henry Vanderleiden, tall, spare, and frock-coated, with faded fair hair, a straight nose like his wife's, and the same look of frozen gentleness in eyes that were merely pale gray instead of pale blue. Mr. Vanderleiden greeted Mrs. Archer with cousinly affability, proffered to Newland low voice congratulations couched in the same language as his wife's, and seated himself in one of the brocade armchairs with the simplicity of a reigning sovereign. I had just finished reading the Times, he said, laying his long fingertips together. In town, my mornings are so much occupied that I find it more convenient to read the newspapers after luncheon. Ah, there's a great deal to be said for that plan. Indeed, I think my uncle Egmont used to say he found it less agitating not to read the morning papers until after dinner, said Mrs. Archer responsively. Yes, my good father abhorred hurry. But now we live in constant rush, said Mr. Vanderleiden in measured tones, looking with pleasant deliberation about the large shrouded room to which to Archer was so complete an image of its owners. But I hope you had finished your reading, Henry, his wife interposed. Quite, quite, he reassured her. Then I should like Adeline to tell you, oh, it's really Newland's story, said his mother, smiling, and proceeded to rehearse once more the monstrous tale of the affront inflicted on Mrs. Lovell Mingott. Of course, she ended, Augusta Welland and May Mingott both felt that, especially in view of Newland's engagement, you and Henry ought to know. Ah, said Mr. Vanderleiden, drawing a deep breath. There was a silence during which the tick of the monumental clock on the white marble mantelpiece grew as loud as the boom of a minute gun. Archer contemplated with awe the two slender-faced figures seated side by side in a kind of vice-regional rigidity, mouthpieces of some remote ancestral authority which fate compelled them to wield when they would so much rather have lived in simplicity and seclusion, digging invisible weeds out of the perfect lawns of Skydercliff and playing patience together on the evenings. Mr. Vanderleiden was the first to speak. You really think this is due to some some intentional interference of Lawrence Lefferts? He inquired, turning to Archer. I'm certain of it, sir. Larry has been going at it rather harder than usual lately, if Cousin Louisa won't mind my mention it, having rather a stiff affair with the postmaster's wife in their village or someone of that sort. And whenever poor Gertrude Lefferts begins to suspect anything and he's afraid of trouble, he gets up a fuss of this kind to show how awfully moral he is and talks at the top of his voice about the impertinence of inviting his wife to meet people he doesn't wish her to know. He is simply using Madame Olenska as a lightning rod. I've seen him try the same thing often before. The Leffertses, said Mrs. Van der Leiden. The Leffertses, echoed Mrs. Archer. What would Uncle Egmont have said of Lawrence Lefferts pronouncing on anybody's social position? It shows what society has come to. We'll hope it's not quite come to that, said Mr. Vanderleiden firmly. Ah, if only you and Louisa went out more, sighed Mrs. Archer. But instantly she became aware of her mistake. The Vanderleidens were morbidly sensitive to any criticism of their secluded existence. They were the arbiters of fashion, the court of last appeal, and they knew it and bowed to their fate. But being shy and retiring persons with no natural inclination for their part, they lived as much as possible in the sylvan solitude of Skydercliff. And when they came to town, declined all invitations on the plea of Mrs. Vanderleiden's health. Newland Archer came to his mother's rescue. 
Everybody in New York knows what you and Cousin Louisa represent. That's why Mrs. Mingott felt she ought not to allow this slight on Countess Olenska to pass without consulting you. Mrs. van der Leiden glanced at her husband, who glanced back at her. It is the principle that I dislike, said Mr. van der Leiden. As long as a member of a well-known family is backed up by that family, it should be considered final. It seems so to me, said his wife, as if she were producing a new thought. I had no idea, Mr. van der Leiden continued, that things had come to such a pass. He paused and looked at his wife again. It occurs to me, my dear, that the Countess Olenska is already a sort of relation through Medora Manson's first husband. At any rate, she will be when Newland marries. He turned towards the young man. Have you read this morning's Times, Newland? Why, yes, sir, said Archer, who usually tossed off half a dozen papers with his morning coffee. Husband and wife looked at each other again. Their pale eyes clung together in prolonged and serious consultation. Then a faint smile fluttered over Mrs. van der Leiden's face. She had evidently guessed and approved. Mr. van der Leiden turned to Mrs. Archer. If Louisa's health allows her to dine out, I wish you'd say to Mrs. Lovell Mingott, she and I would have been happy to er, fill the places of the Lawrence Leffertses at her dinner. He paused to let the irony sink in. As you know, this is impossible, Mrs. Archer sounded a sympathetic assent. But Newland tells me he has read this morning's Times, therefore he has probably seen that Louisa's relative, the Duke of St. Austrey, arrives next week on the Russia. He's coming to enter his new sloop, the Guinevere, in next summer's International Cup race, and also to have a little canvasback shooting at the Trevenna. Mr. van der Leiden paused again and continued with increasing benevolence. Before taking him down to Maryland, we are inviting a few friends to meet him here, only a little dinner with a reception afterwards. I am sure Louisa would be as glad as I am if Countess Olenska will let us include her among our guests. He got up, bent his long body with stiff friendliness towards his cousin, and added, I think I have Louisa's authority for saying that she will herself leave the invitation to dine when she drives out presently, with our cards, of course with our cards. Mrs. Archer, who knew this to be a hint that the seventeen-hand chestnuts which were never kept waiting were at the door, rose with a hurried murmur of thanks. Mrs. van der Leiden beamed on her with the smile of Esther interceding with Ahasuerus, but her husband raised a protesting hand. There's nothing to thank me for, dear Adeline, nothing whatever. This kind of thing must not happen in New York. It shall not as long as I can help it, he pronounced with sovereign gentleness as he steered his cousin to the door. Two hours later, everyone knew that the great sea spring barouche in which Mrs. van der Leiden took the air at all seasons had been seen at old Mrs. Mingott's door, where a large square envelope was handed in. And that evening, at the opera, Mr. Sillerton Jackson was able to state that the envelope contained a card inviting the Countess Olenska to the dinner which the van der Leidens were giving the following week for their cousin, the Duke of St. Austery. Some of the younger men in the club box exchanged a smile at this announcement and glanced sideways at Lawrence Lefferts, who sat carelessly in the front of the box, pulling his long, fair mustache, and who remarked with authority as the soprano paused, no one but Patty ought to attempt the sonambula. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. 
You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.